Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn of Cruise Consulting. And before we get to a great podcast with Kashik Ranchot of Ranchot Law Group, I'd like to give a couple shout outs. First to Cruise Consulting, my employer. My wife started the firm five years ago and we're one of the biggest and I think the best startup accounting firms in the world. Please check us out if you need 409A valuations or financial modeling or just regular old monthly accounting. And don't forget taxes. We do tons of tax work. And as Vanessa says, everyone needs to file a tax return. And then also a shout out to Gusto, who does uh, a big payroll uh, partner of Cruise Consulting's and now is processing R&D tax credit claims. So Cruise Consulting preps the R&D tax credit and Gusto makes it easy to apply to your payroll taxes if you're a startup. Check it out and thanks for Gusto for doing this for free for this quarter. Really appreciate the help and support. And now on to a great podcast with Kashik Ranchad. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And my very special guest is Kashik Ranchad of the Ranchad Law Group. Hey, Kashik, how you doing? I am fantastic, Scott. Thanks for uh, having me on today. Looking forward to our our talk today. Yeah. So Kashik is our immigration lawyer at Cruise Consulting. We've sponsored a lot of folks on H-1B visas. He's done a tremendous job along with wonderful Candace in his office. And so I want him to have the podcast because for us, the H-1B process and immigration in general uh, for employment, it's just really kind of confusing and we didn't really know kind of how things work. And so Kashik has guided us through this whole process for, for a couple years now and plan to keep doing it in the future. So he's an expert and I just wanted to have him on the podcast. How did you get into law? How did you get into immigration law specifically? Because it's, it's a highly kind of uh, specific and nuanced area of the law. I began the, the immigrant journey uh, myself when I came over here from South Africa at the age of one. My parents came over here. And so I went through the whole immigration process as far as, you know, getting citizenship and whatnot. And that was just part of my, my background. I, I never actually thought, of, thought about it too much. Um, what was always really important to me is just fighting for justice. Me and... Um, doing the right thing and making sure that uh, people are, are taken care of. So when I went to law school, I didn't have immigration law on my radar. I actually wanted to do employment law. And I ended up going and uh, working for a plaintiff's employment law firm after, uh, after law school. And I just realized that that was not the right fit for me um, because I really like to work together uh, with organizations with people to come together to con- find common ground and a solution and make things happen rather than litigation, which which is employment law where you're, you're fighting the other side where it gets contentious and whatnot. So I, uh, well, also it's like your family experienced this firsthand or you experienced it firsthand, you know, you know how important it is and you know how it changes people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and then that's how immigration really came, came into play for me because it really, affected our life in a deep way um, and not only that I just always had an innate interest in working with other cultures I love traveling I've traveled all over the world and um, there's just something that is fun with it, that learning about other cultures in the process and then also working with companies such as yourself um, helping support other companies um, grow by hiring uh, talent that allows uh, businesses to grow. So all of that um, really 
makes immigration law something that I'm passionate about. That's awesome. And did you go, what was your career route? Did you work for a different law firm before starting yours or how did you, how'd you get into starting your own law firm? That's a pretty big step. Yeah. So start so going back to my story there. Um, I decided I actually, after working for an employment law firm, I decided that I wanted to, uh, this is during the dot-com sector. I, I, I was disheartened with the contentious aspect of employment law. So I went and worked as a consultant for fortune 500 companies. Um, during the dot-com era for a software company. And during that time, I had some colleagues who were, um, and friends who were doing immigration law, and they were telling me about how, how wonderful it is um, and how interesting it is. And at the, I was working at, for this dot-com company, and then the dot-com bubble happened, and I said, why not try and open up my own law firm? And it was kind of, uh, if you've read the e-myth, which I'm sure a lot of you know entrepreneurs have is that the entrepreneurial seizure happening, but um, it was it was one of the best things I've ever done. You know, I um, started my own law firm. Of course, it's come with a lot of you know when you ever whenever you start a business and every business owner knows this, you have many challenges that you face. But um, it was definitely the the right fit for me um, for the mentions for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, just for the fact that you really get to help empower people on a really deep level and you really are working together on a common solution um, when you're filing for an immigration application um, for a company or for an individual. For sure. Well, I mean, you have a great story having kind of lived this and it is, it's cool to hear you being an entrepreneur yourself because you know, at Cruise, we're, we're, Vanessa started our firm five years ago and we're kind of a bootstrapped professional services firm too. So it's, we have a lot in common and I think that's another reason why we like working with you. Maybe you can kind of walk the audience through like the basics of what they need to think about in immigration law, especially, you know, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast are, you know, startup people who either are going to sponsor H1B visas applications, or maybe they are someone who's going to apply for an H1B visa. Maybe walk the audience through that process. I would love to do that. Uh, many people who are coming in, uh, who are eligible for H-1B, they start off as a student, on a, they're here going to school, they're here on a F-1 visa, and um, and then when they graduate, they're looking for an employer, so you might get contacted by someone who's on an F-1 status, and you might have questions, well, is, uh, what can I do for this person? This person looks great. Should I sponsor them? And one way to do this is through the H-1B visa. So the H-1B visa is a specialty occupation visa. Uh, what that means is that the person has to have a bachelor's degree to qualify, but more importantly, the position needs to require a bachelor's degree in a specialized area. So for instance, uh, accounting or software engineers, those are uh, an area of a specialty occupation. And once we determine whether or not this position qualifies as a specialty occupation, then to get started in the process, what we do is we make sure that um, the, the market wage rate is in line with um, what the DOL sees as the market wage rate. So whatever you're paying the employee, the Department of Labor puts out what the market wage rate is and we make sure that that's in alignment. And the next step in the process is filing an application with the Department of Labor called an LCA. 
And that whole process takes about two weeks. But before you even get to that step, if you're a new company, you need to make sure you're registered with the Department of Labor. Um, so we do that with the respective company to make sure that the Department of Labor recognizes you as a legitimate organization. That's a process that normally takes about a week or so, but a lot of times companies are surprised that there's so many hoops to jump through before you even file for the actual H-1B application with USCIS. So this whole process, sure. yeah. <laughs> and I'm- and Well, you know, and for us, like that, the, the wage rate thing, I, was, I didn't even know that, but it makes perfect sense because the goal of the H-1B visa is to bring over kind of highly specialized, highly, you know, accredited people. And the, the goal is not to like substitute kind of lower wage uh, folks for those jobs. And so they want to make sure that you're paying the market rate and that the people that are working with you that are going to apply for the H-1 visa are making the market rate. This isn't like a, a uh, labor cost kind of arbitrage situation. This is, these are tough jobs to find qualified people for. And that's why it makes sense to have the visa and to let kind of more people you know, stay in the United States who are, have these specialized skills. So it makes total sense to me, but I actually didn't know that was part of the process. I didn't know that we actually had to like benchmark our salaries versus what the, what the, the market should be. Right. Well, and that's what we're all, we were doing behind the scenes, you know, for you, uh, making sure that that's all in alignment. So, and that's part of the labor condition application before we even get to that point, we're making sure that the wage that you're paying is in, um, is benchmarked against what the Department of Labor says. And if it's not, then we come back and have a conversation with the employer and, you know, let them know that maybe it's not, not in alignment. So that whole process there takes about a month. And you were right. This is not a way to circumvent and try to pay lower wages. What it is, is it's a way to get top talent. And I'm sure like, you know, for any growing organization, as we know, people is one important component of your business. And you want to have the best and brightest talent. And sometimes, you know, that doesn't mean it's someone who is a U.S. citizen. Sometimes you need to think outside of the box and look at other um, opportunities out there. And a lot of times there's very talented people who are who have come to study here and um, you know are eligible. And that's why the H-1B visa is a great option. Now, there is a H-1B visa cap of only 65,000 that are allowed every year. Um, and about 20,000 additional for people who are in a master's degree or higher. So that's a total of about 85,000 H-1Bs. So there's not that many available and more and more people are applying every year. So we normally file once you go through, we go through that whole de Department of Labor process, then we file with the USCIS on April 1st for an October 1st start date. Um, and in the last few years, there's been a lottery. so out of all of the applications that you file, not all of them are going to be accepted. And the ones that are accepted, then the USAIS will review the application and then make a final determination. And then if it's approved, employee can start October 1st. Now, there's also another fantastic way besides just filing on April 1st that you can get an H-1B employee is not faster to begin working with you, and that is if they're already in H-1B status, then you don't have to wait till April 1st to apply. You can file what's called a change of employer application, and they can start working for you as soon as you get the receipt notice from the USCIS, and because they've 
are already counted against the H-1B cap. So those folks have like, have they gone through the process with another employer? Exactly. Yeah. They've, yeah. yeah. They've gone through that. They've gone through the process with another employer. So that's why they've already are counted towards the H-1B cap. So generally when someone comes here on the H-1B, they are able to work here for a total of six years in three year increments. So, you know, once you that employee is working for you, they get to work for you for three years and then they get to renew for another three years for a total of six years. And you can extend beyond the six years if you decide that you like this person, that they're adding value to your organization, then you can file for a green card application for them. And if that green card application, um, the first step, the labor certification in the green card process has been pending for more than a year, um, which usually it is either the labor certification or the I-140, um, many times it is, then you can extend the H-1B uh, either in one or three year increments. It is like a, a tremendous amount of paperwork. I really like the way you guys made it just easy for us. Like you and Candace would just kind of prompt me. There's a lot of documentation you have to fill out. And I really, you just had really good templates set up. And I felt like I have, you must have invested in kind of the frequently asked questions behind the scene or something like that. Because I felt like every time I was asking you guys a question, you and Candace would be right back with kind of the the exact answer I was looking for, <laughs> which which was great for me. Well, yeah, that's just because um, I've been doing this for over 15 years. So over that period of time, uh, you, you, you're right. You have the frequently asked questions that clients constantly or that they, you know, they ask and you know exactly, you know, how to answer those questions based off of just doing this for so long, you know, what, what pitfalls to look out for and what. Yeah. When do you, when should people start planning for this? Like the April, I believe it was the April 1st deadline. Like it's really critical to file on, on that day, right? Like it's kind of. You got to get in. Yeah, you, um, we try to get all of our applications in um, by April first. So working backwards, like what? When does it start making sense for you know a company like ours or a venture funded startup to reach out to you and start planning for this? In um, I, in November or December of the previous of the prior year, that gives us plenty of time for both the employer and us to work together to file a very thoroughly prepared application. So that would be the ideal time, which means that, you know, right now we're, uh, it's June 30th. Uh, and we, you, as a company, I would recommend you start recruiting because as we know, recruiting takes time. And then you might get that candidate um, around November, December. And we start preparing the application, address any issues that we might face, um, that we need to overcome, any hurdles that come up. Um, and then have the application already uh, to file and, and file it on April 1st. And just to, that makes that's great advice. And just to make sure, like, because we've had a couple folks who were students, so they would come to us um, right around graduation or right after graduation, and we would hire them. And most of them would have, I think this is correct, right? Like a one year kind of work visa that they could stay in the United States or is, is that how that works? It's, it's, yes, it's called, uh, what it's called specifically is optional practical training. So once they complete school, they, if they apply for and obtain optional practical training, then they could work for your organization, assuming all the other requirements are met. And, and then that would also allow them to also apply for the H-1B visa. 
Um, and then that also allows, and in, in if they're working for you, then you can get a sense of whether or not they're a good fit for your organization as well. That's exactly how we do it. But we've been fortunate that everyone who kind of has come with that uh, in that visa situation, we've been able to sponsor. So it's it's worked out really well for us. What are you you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you know there's more and more people applying for the H one B visa? Like, you know, how many people are applying every year now and and what's the probability of getting uh, selected? Well, I believe it was over 200,000 this last filing. So that's about one in three or one in four odds in, in getting selected. Now, if you don't get selected, your application gets sent back to you. You don't have to pay the government filing fees. But it, the, yes, the odds are going down with because more people are applying. And... I think part of it is also because this administration might change the whole H-1B game. Um, there's talks of basically prioritizing people who, uh, applicants who make over 100,000 over over people who are, are paid less. So start off, so whoever's paid the most basically will get priority over the, um, in the application process. So I think that was also a large part of the push last year. And then also the economy is good. So when the economy is good, you know, more, there's more hiring. That makes sense. It, that's interesting on the kind of $100,000 threshold. Is, that, is the logic that, that just like those are the most specialized, most kind of qualified people? Is it is as simple as like, hey, the market assigns a dollar amount to these people and we're just going to follow that? I think uh, that might be part of the part of it, and the other part of it is that it, that perspe- coming from that perspective, that that ensures that people are not undercutting other U.S. workers. Um, oh yeah, that makes sense. But as you know, you know that there's a lot of people paid less than a hundred thousand that um, are highly talented that are still being paid well that are not being undercut. So we'll see if that's actually going to go through or not, but that there's, that's definitely um, been talked about by the Trump administration. And I think a lot of people were fearful of that. And that's why there was such a large push in, in the last um, H1B filing. But I have not since heard um, of this moving forward since um, last H1B filing, but that might be because of um, Trump's been distracted by the whole Russia incident and whatnot. <laughs> oh God, I don't even, uh, or like the other ten things that are going on with him. Um, I remember there was also this. I think when when Trump administration first came into power, they they canceled something called like expedited processing. Can you kind of explain what that was and and if has that really gone away or is that still happening? Yes, that's an awesome question, Scott. So there's something called premium processing, and what that allows someone to do is get a decision in uh, 15 days and uh, you pay the government an additional fee of 1225 as of now and that fee is always changing um, to, to get that decision faster and they temporarily suspended premium processing and um, the reason behind that I think is because so many applications are coming in they want to to be able to have the the time to be able to process the H-1B cases with the H-1B cap. But I think that after October 1st, they are going to again allow for premium processing. So I think that's only a temporary 
uh, suspension. So how does that work? Do people, they, they still go through the lottery or is it like a separate lottery? It's a, it's a little confusing. Yes, you still go through the lottery. So the premium processing, you're not buying your way into the lottery. Um, now, premium processing would only go into effect if you were selected for the lottery. And then, oh, I see. Yeah, I see. And yeah. then, if you're selected for the lottery, then you then you'd get the decision faster. So, you know, sometimes employers want to have a decision um, as soon as possible, or and and that's why they they go ahead and do it. But right now, USCIS has posted that they're taking about three months to process applications. That's that's pretty fast. So that should be so you know for um, April filings. That means by the end of July, hopefully, we'll be getting some decisions from USCIS. Now, of course, they change these um, processing times every month, but that was actually something that I was um, happy to see that they've sped up on their processing times with the uh, H-1B applications. That's great. So basically, if I'm a startup, I should be thinking recruit in the summertime, you know, locate the people you want, approach you know, your law firm sometime in November or December, answer a lot of questions, get the basic paperwork set up, do the benchmarking on salaries, make sure everything's in line. Your team will start sending over documents to be filled out and signed. And then the, you want to, you want to, I assume you basically want to finish things up maybe in January, February, if possible to buy yourself. So you're not going right up to the deadline of April 1st, right? Absolutely. You'll be surprised how many people like call us like March, you know, or even like mid March wanting to file and, it's really not in your best interest or company's best interest to do that because we have less time to file and we can just plan it out like you just mentioned it. And then it, then we ensure that every I is dotted, every T is crossed. There's, we're not going to run into any surprises so that when they do review the application, there's a very high likelihood of success in getting it approved or we won't run into surprises. That's exactly how we've done it the last couple of years. And it's so much more relaxed. And we, we, or excuse me, I should say we've planned ahead, thank, thankfully, and it's way more relaxed. And I think one thing that people, you know, if it's a startup, they don't maybe factor in is that the stress level for the team members who you're applying for. I mean, it's a really big decision. It's a really critical kind of moment in their life. And so you're really hoping you want to take care of everything. You want to dot all the I's, cross all the T's. And not put them, not add additional stress, you know, to the to them throughout the process. Yes, yes, absolutely. You highlighted a really good component because it's just, you know not only a stress for whoever's handling it on the the company's end, but the employees end. And if you can mitigate that, it just makes it you know by starting earlier, it makes it easier for everybody um, because you know everyone knows like when you're rushing something, it just makes it more um, stressful. And there's also a lot of there's more issues also with the startup filing for H-1B than there is for, let's say, Microsoft. And what those issues are is like the USCIS wants to see that you're a legitimate organization because there, unfortunately there's H-1B fraud. There's you know people filing fraudulent applications. So then when when we look at over over the application, we want to make sure that you know that we've addressed that issue if need be. And so that takes extra time. And then also there's a learning curve for startups as well, uh, because you don't have a dedicated HR manager uh, who's done this a hundred times like in Microsoft. So you're learning this process for the first time as well. And so um, there, it takes time for 
your first H-1B filing to get up to speed on what needs to be done. And so the time that needs to be built in for that as well, because there's going to be a lot of questions that you're going to have as an organization since you've done this for the first time. I know I did. I know, I'm not even an HR expert. I'm just the the COO and had to handle this kind of stuff, but I did have a ton of questions and that was another night, you know, tip of the cap to you guys for being just awesome to work with and answering all those questions. Is there any, is there any other resources out there that you would point people to? Is there a good book on Amazon or terrific, you know, content on your website that people can just kind of read and get smart on the H1B visa process? Well, we have a lot of articles on our website. Um, If you go to ranchodlaw.com, R-A-N-C-H-O-D law.com. Um, and you, when you get to the homepage, just click on the employer's link. And we have a lot of articles on the H-1B process and the um, employment-based green card process that'll get you for, more familiar. And then I also have a YouTube channel under Ranchod Law Group that, and I have a lot of uh, videos on the H-1B process. And those are also on my, on my website as well. Um, that will help educate you on the H-1B process if you if you have more questions. And then Scott, also, I just wanted to you know thank you for being a great client as well. And this is a team effort, and um, you know you've always been great to to work with and provided information that we needed um, timely. So you know it, it it really helps when we're working together as a team. Uh, thank you so much. Well, I'll make sure my uh, my boss, Vanessa Cruz, hears that uh, segment of the podcast and <laughs> <laughs> make me look good. Uh, I didn't know about the YouTube videos. I will check those out. There is – it is like – I, I would recommend to folks um, – there's just a lot going on and there's a lot of documentation and – you know, I, I do, I really recommend your services and, um, you know, you don't want to go through this alone. There's just way too much stuff to try to tackle by yourself. Um, and I can just testify that Koshik and his team was, was really awesome to work with. Well, that's, that's kind of about it. Is there any kind of parting thoughts for the audience or any, any ways of kind of increasing their chances? And I mean, anything, anything we can do as a company or our startup listeners can do as a company to, to make sure their people are taken care of and have a better shot at the H-1B visa? I think the biggest thing you can do as a company is uh, just start the process early. And um, if you're looking at an employee, the base minimum requirement is that they have a bachelor's degree. Um, and if they have a three-year bachelor's degree, you know, contact our firm as soon as possible so we can take a look at it because that raises some questions as to whether or not they're going to be able to qualify, and by by starting the process early, we can address a lot of questions and issues that may come up to to find the appropriate solutions for you. That's great advice, and we uh, follow that advice. And it it is so much better to plan ahead and get this started in November, December. That's exactly what we've done, and it's a great de-stressor. So I highly recommend that. Uh, Kashik, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is Kashik from Ranchod Law Group. You can just find them at ranchodlaw.com. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate your help. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been fantastic. All right, man. You take care. All right. Bye-bye.